2: Welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portzine with you on a whatever the hell day this is between Christmas and New Year. Allison Lucan is here.
3: Days are irrelevant. Every day I say hello.
2: It is. It is kind of like that. Um, however, Allison, yes, uh, Sunday has meaning. It does in Blue Jackets land. Training camps. The beginning of training camp. Sort of the physicals. Now they're on the ice Monday. Not that that makes a hoot of difference because ain't nobody getting get in to watch them, uh, <laughs> such is the time. Um, but there's some news the league is starting to come to life here with the anticipation of a January 13 opening day around the league, January 14th for the Blue Jackets in Nashville. Um, and the, the Blue Jackets, as we said, start training camp in just a few days. So it's going to be a training camp, Allison, that's that's. Really, we we've said this probably three thousand times since March. This this is not going to be like any other um, you know experience we've had. Uh, this time, it's training camp's opportunity to live up to that. It's not really going to be a training camp. It's sort of going to be like a trajectory <laughs> camp. Just get up and going to the regular season. There's no exhibition games. There's not going to be two of the two days of boring skate test there's not going to be a two mile run uh we're not going to be banging on the pr guys for tomorrow's roster in pittsburgh and that kind of stuff it's just going to be totally different um i suppose we should be used to different by now uh but tell me what you make of this 10 to 11 day a uh, quote-unquote camp that they're going to have and how they need to run this thing so that guys are prepared but guys are not beat up before this thing even gets started
3: yeah, I mean, I would say that Nelson Ayotte, who is the high performance director, is going to be heavily involved in making sure that the uh, the uh, workload is managed, that everything is ready physically and not overburdened, but uh, they're not going to, I think it's going to be kind of like the final fun days, because we know there's going to be two groups, but the competition is going to be instant we're not going to have yep. the ramp up of the energy from the team either i don't think where they kind that's of right. ease into it because they know they're going to work but you know
2: yeah i think if you're john tortorella a camp like this well it's going to bother you it's not going to feel natural for him it's going to irritate him because he's he he feels like part of camp is that sort of mental testing that can you get yep. through it The yep. almost breaking them down to build them back up again i can't, that's just not possible this time but I've been thinking about this. I I think a camp like this, for him in Columbus three years ago, four years ago, would have been much more difficult. I think he's. I think there's a understanding among these players and this coach, of of what is expected. Um, in other words, I, I I think these guys are sort of more naturally on the same page. If yep. Yep. if that's a way to say it, you know what I'm getting at.
3: Totally, totally. I mean, that's. I mean, this is a group. I think that um, th- there's no real surprises here, right? And I think right. that um, I think that this is a group that's probably excited above and beyond the usual because they know that they are probably going to get to play a little bit differently this year. Um, so I think that's probably going to be an incentive too. So um, this is a group that I think. I mean, it, it, we're all going to find out if a shorter camp hurts or helps clubs, but this is a group that I think isn't necessarily going to be hurt by not having as much time as they quote unquote usually do.
2: Yeah. And if you look around the league, I think this team is probably the cluster. The core of this team has probably been together as long as maybe more than most teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is not a getting to know you necessarily other than a couple of big spots, obviously, you know, Max Domi's going to uh, need some time to get acclimated. Um, Miko Koi, they're breaking in a couple of new centermen, but, you know, we're, we're looking at 12, 15 guys that really know um, the expectations here and, and and frankly are able to set themselves to the ex- the expectations without having to be reminded of it all the time, which I think is a different sort of um, setup than John Tortorella had when he first got here. At least he feels like it is. Right. Um, I, so still there are some big issues heading into this training camp. I think what's different about this too is without playing exhibition games – Without having, you know, so long to move people around into different lines and give different looks, we're not going to have maybe answers to some of our questions at the end of this camp. Um, I, I, some of these camp, some of these questions may may go into the regular season before you have an answer for them. But let's discuss some of the large issues around this team. Uh, the first thing that's starting to become, I mean, we've been told repeatedly for months now that the Dubois situation isn't a big deal. And to be clear, it isn't yet. They're <laughs> not late yet. Um, but it's getting down now to the, the hours, where when camp starts on Sunday, if Pierre-Luc Dubois is not signed by then, uh, the club has historically uh, taken a different tone with the player. Um, and they've used that start of camp as, I don't want to say a threat, but it's kind of been that, um, no ultimatums for these things. They still have Dubois rights. They will into the season, but they want to get this guy signed. He's already here in Columbus, all systems point to go, uh, but until it's done, it's not done. How I I, I'm of the school, Allison, you probably have heard this too many times. For me, but there's really no sense in worrying about it if you're a Blue Jackets fan because it's not going to change a damn thing. But at this point, how concerning is it to you, or should it be, if uh, that Pierre Luc is not done yet? Does optimism still prevail?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that I mean, for all the reasons you said, this will get done. There's, to varying degrees, particularly this year, there's no sense in overly stressing about things we can't control. Um, and fans are certainly not going to impact contract negotiations. I, I just think that this is—it's it, a shame that this organization seems to keep getting into this situation. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think it'd be—I think everyone would be thrilled if, if this trend stopped. Um, versus, particularly for for you know talent like like we've discussed, and then you mentioned in your piece, you know Ryan Johansson, Josh Anderson. Now we're talking about this with Pierre Luc Dubois. Um, these are players that I think you want to make sure have a great longstanding relationship with the organization, regardless of what happens. And um, I don't know this, at least on the surface, this doesn't always feel like the most comfortable way to go about that.
2: Yeah. I wonder how much Wenberg scares them. And I don't mean mm. them, meaning and just alone, because he's he's not right. working alone. He has a boss, and right. the boss is the guy that pays the money. How much do you think Wenberg scares the boss?
3: Well, I mean... Here's the thing. If they didn't learn from that, that's a shame. But I think that any organization, it's been long enough that hopefully they've refined their methods of analyses and how they make these decisions. And, and as much as that's a misstep, I'm sure, in their eyes, that, doesn't, that shouldn't color every future negotiation till the end of time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right.
2: Sure. That one's fresh, though.
3: Yeah, it is. It is. Because
2: the buyout just went through. And I, I'm sure when they go to management with the yeah. offer to Wenberg three years ago, it was, this guy just had 59 points. I mean, he's a number one center. Look at him. He's a budding number one center. Now, these two players are not at all alike. I think there are elements of Dubois' game that if he's not producing uh, and not, you know, I, mean, I guess I shouldn't say that because Wenberg gave you a pretty good checking forward even when he wasn't producing. But I'm sure the way they sell signing Dubois to a big ticket sounds a lot to ownership like it did when they sold Wenberg, and no one could have seen Wenberg's demise coming. At least I'm I'm not smart enough to, to say I saw it coming. There's risk. There's risk with all of these. Um, but you're right. It's, it's kind of a broken record in Columbus. Um, top player, RFA, really hard getting him signed you just hope for the sake of both parties that something gets done quickly um, and amiably so far it's been it's been it's been nothing but professional pat Person is is the super agent of the nhl right now he deals with this stuff all the time um you just you'd hate to see another commodity another great player uh, reach a point of frustration with the organization and vice versa if it continues to go 100% agree that's the, that's the rough part. Uh, so here's some trickier stuff. We've been saying all along, and you, you uh, here's our second topic. I don't know if you saw the athletic.com today. We have a story posted about the big questions that are surrounding the Blue Jackets as they go into uh, this, this training camp starting uh, Sunday on Ice Monday. Um, the moment that trade was made for Montreal, we said Max Domi, number two line center. He's going to get Atkinson on that on his right wing. We'll see who he gets in the left wing. The more you think about it, if you're Max Domi, you're probably reading all the clips or looking at the clips, or maybe you're not. You're hearing all the talk about how you're going to be the number two center in Ohio, and if this kid is wired the way I think he's wired, he's probably going number two
3: center. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Really? Seriously? Like, hey, nothing against Pierre-Luc Dubois. Love the kid. Kid battles his ass off. He's got first center pedigree for sure but uh, are you sure I'm the number two center right I, I don't think he just accepts that I know John Tortorella is not just saying it's it's a uh, purely Dubois job and Max Domi can get no higher than number two Max Domi's had a season just one year ago 28-44-72 for the Canadians purely Dubois has never reached those numbers any of them um, so wh- what are we looking at down the middle I think it's perfectly healthy by the way if Pierre-Luc Dubois is not sure if he's the number one center. I think it's perfectly healthy if Max Max Domi does not accept that he's the number two center and not the number one. I think it's perfectly healthy if it goes back and forth, kind of like the goaltenders throughout the season, where who's ever going and whatever line makes sense is the number one line, and the ice time will be doled out accordingly. Your thoughts on this, and maybe if that, that uh, number one and number two center competition is more up for grabs than we think it is.
3: Well, I think we we have a new term we can call this battle the Dubois battle.
2: <laughs> I, where did that come from? Du- well, you du- put Bois. them together.
3: You put them together. I like it.
2: Did I Dubois and Dubois? Yeah. yeah
3: okay. See, see, no, I, no but I I agree with you. I mean, I, I I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think we saw in the postseason that John Tortorella was actually onto something. That this is a player that responds to being challenged. I think yeah. that's a great characteristic for a professional athlete in that context. Um, we have seen that when this player is truly at his best, it's a whole nother level. And I think there's no better way to spur on both of those things than to have a player like Max Domi who isn't going to accept a second-line assignment straight out of the bat. And yeah. I, I also agree, ultimately, that Particularly for this team where we talk about they always need to get some more offense, more offense, more offense. If you're looking at a very fluid top six, I think that's that's a, a, the best problem in the world to have, particularly in a compressed schedule. Like you said, we talk about that benefit with the goaltenders. Think about having depth down the middle like this with the schedule being like it's going to be.
2: Yeah,
1: right.
2: And I think you're if, if you assume, as Tortorella has suggested, that Cam Atkinson's going to play next to, to Max Domi, that's his name, um, <laughs> and you read Cam Atkinson's quotes from earlier this week, that doesn't sound like a player that's accepting that he's a second-line right winger either, if Agreed. you know what I mean. Totally. I mean, I think both of those guys, and to your point, I think it's perfectly fine if you go into a game uh, in this season and you don't really know what, which top forward line is going to get the bulk of your work that it it can, it might be matchups. It might be who you want Dubois checking on the other team. It might be which line is going more. I tell you, if you're Columbus and you're the, you're the blue jackets, you just want two lines going offensively. Right. Um, You mentioned how Dubois takes it to a different level when he's challenged. And I, I think that is, I think you see it. Yeah. It's visible. You could see it in the playoffs after the, the uh, tete-a-tete with Tortorella on the bench, you could see just the blowback from Dubois that was amazing. And really, if you look at this team's depth chart, the last two years, um, again, with Wenberg, he's out of town. We should stop talking about him at some point, but there hasn't been much, much push uh, from behind. Uh, Someone's going to take Dubois' ice time from him. Right. Like there just hasn't been that challenge in the room. And, and, I think Dubois can be better for it. He may not, he may not like it or welcome it, but I think he'll recognize that he needs that that as much as as anybody does. It's just a fact of life. It's nothing specific to that kid. So we watch Dubois, we watch Domi, and we see which of those lines uh, is firing and which one Tortorella may lean on in, in games um, when it's five on five, when he needs a goal, when he's looking to shut. Teams down. It'll be fascinating to see um, which role he comes to, which lines are he comes to count on. Um, another another topic here for the Blue Jackets entering camp: Alexander Texe and Emil Bemstrom. Will they be ready for bigger roles? So here we sit, f- four days before camp opens. Gustav Nyquist is out long term after having shoulder surgery. Only making uh, bigger, I think, the Blue Jackets' need for proven offensive firepower. And you've seen the last few free agents that were on the board um, tick off. Uh, Mike Hoffman signs a PTO. Soon it'll be a contract with the Blues. Um, Athanasiu signed. There were others that you sort of kicked around. as they, uh, Maybe the Blue Jackets could get some help in free agency. You know, they weren't really that excited about any of those guys. Were they going to get a, a a player cast off from as a cap casualty? Well, no. The Lightning managed to figure out their stuff without getting rid of anybody. So, you know, nobody looked at at their situation and said, "We're in bad shape. We need to get rid of a really good player." Let's call Columbus. And it never works that way. It hasn't yet. It didn't again this off season. Uh, maybe there's still a few days for something to come down. We'll see. But as it stands, Allison, it sure looks like they they just, and it's not fair to these young players, perhaps, but I, I don't think they can wait any longer for Texier or Bemstrom to be a significant offensive impact players. They need those guys now to make a push. This will be their second uh, full seasons in the NHL. I think there were there have been glimmers of, of flickers of brightness for both of them at times. But those guys, I mean, we're talking about a guy, Texier, who's on the number one line right now, or whatever that is, with Dubois um, and Bjorkstrand. We're talking about Bemstrom, who's probably going to get power play time, and John Tortorella wants to give him a regular shift in the top nine. Those guys have to produce. It can't just be good guys who are going to be really good in a few years, they they almost need something special from them now.
3: Oh yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, again, I'm certainly not <laughs> better than either player, but I, for me, I have a little bit more confidence in Texier um, than Bemstrom. I just think that we have to remember that Texier was out for a huge chunk of the season with an yep. injury that develops over time, which would lead me to believe he probably wasn't at a hundred percent for a good chunk of time before he ended up coming out of the lineup to, to heal so yep. I liked what I saw from the player I really liked what I saw from him in the postseason I like the little bit of chip that he brings as well um, I don't think he's going to be you know the top goal scorer but I think he's going to be part of creating chances and frustrating opponents Bemstrom I, I, I might be with John Tortorella on this one a little bit more and that I, you know I I I'd love to see this kid put it together um, but I think he's he's really gonna have the biggest challenge in front of him for sure he just didn't he was still putting the pieces together last season um, and you know he's he's had a nice swing of play overseas um, and maybe that's helped him put some of these pieces together but uh, you know it, it's even when you look at the lineup this is a guy who might not be in every night with all the forwards yeah. that they have to juggle um so that's one that I'm going to be a little bit more curious about to see if, if we can erase the question marks there.
2: Yeah. And I look at it like, like, you know, Texier, I, I'm very hopeful that he's going to be a hell of a player. He mm-hmm. is. I, I, you can feel that, but I, I look at him right now and I think of him playing on a number one line and man, that is the high rent district in the national hockey league. Mm-hmm. Like the, now he brings an element to that line for sure. The guy can pass the puck. He's got great vision. But if, if you are a team that is a playoff contender, that guy has to become a, a real impact player. That At that point in the lineup, you can't just have a placeholder or a guy that's that's going to be and is working at the kinks if you think you're a, a team that's ready to win. Right. So I think there's a lot of pressure there on him to produce, and I don't know who goes in there if he's not. Bemstrom, I thought, you know, you, there are a lot of years where – if if you look back on the Blue Jackets rookies, you would be delighted that one of them had 10 goals. <laughs> it was a quiet 10 goals for Bemstrom. Yeah. Um, and mostly because he came billed as this player with the big one-timer, and he scored 10 goals despite not really having the the one-timer going. Right. Um, and I don't know what that is. I, I, I can assume it's it's stage fright. It's getting adjusted to a much more difficult league. Um, I don't know where he fits. Like, he, even as, as we talk right now, they, you're, you're looking at A uh, on the top line, which I think some people will will roll their eyes at. Um, you and I sort of have an appreciation for the player. I haven't seen him up close, but I'm not sure what you do with Bemstrom. Yeah. Like, Jenner, Koivu, Bemstrom doesn't seem like a line to me. Right. Do you put him on the left side with Domi and, and Atkinson? That seems that a little seems high. Rich.
3: Yeah, that seems rich.
2: Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. But I don't want him on the fourth line either, chucking right. away like he did last year, because that's not what he's here to do. Right. Um, so I'm a little curious about how that how that's going to work with with him. Any thoughts there?
3: I mean, that's again. This is you know, this is where we've some years we've had lines where we just call them like the line of misfit toys. Um, yeah. And you know, this I think this this might be the bigger root question for Bemstrom is that. Can he earn his way into the role that he should be playing? Because if he can't, then he really—I don't want to say can't or shouldn't—but isn't in the lineup because he doesn't fit right. anywhere else. That's right. um, and you know, I—I I feel like, and we commented on this last season when we'd watch him play. It felt like he—he st- was—he still thought he had time to think or to make a move before he actually needed to be making it. Yeah, it was that speed of the game, and I think he's more than capable. But it's putting that together and adapting. Um, and if he can do that, then then you know maybe he is challenging for a top six spot with that you know special teams contribution as well. But it, this isn't a guy that can kind of languish in the bottom six, particularly with the other pieces that this organization currently has. With a different roster, yeah. maybe, but not with this roster.
2: Yeah, and, and am I right to say if you're a Blue Jackets fan, this is kind of disappointing? That and nothing against these two guys. I think they're both NHL players. I do, and I think they're going to be both really good NHL players. They might be that this year, but it just it just feels uh, if you're the Blue Jackets, a little disappointing to be having these same conversations almost that you had last year about these these. Not, and again, this isn't about the two players. It's about where they fit and how important they are to this team. Because the team hasn't done something to strengthen itself offensively, where these guys, what they give you is you're you're expecting them to play well, but what they give you offensively is almost a bonus sometimes. No, no, they're needed again, and that that's a risky way to go about um, playing. I think, especially if you think you're you're a team that can do some damage in the playoffs. A do you have anything to say there?
3: No, I I think that that's again that's the root that's the root of the root. And people who've been around for a while remember when this organization had a notorious problem for having to rush. I mean, think back to Derek Brassard playing. Think back, I mean think back to those early days when guys were were up in the in the big leagues before maybe they should be. Right. Um, and I don't think that's the situation here. It's not a rush, but it's it's. Building a place for these players to adjust the right way, given where they are in their development, and, and this whole season, PS has obviously thrown like massive wrenches in all of that. So, oh, shit, right. <laughs> right.
2: yeah, um, a, a wild card in all of this is Mikhail Grigorenko. Yes, and this is one of our questions for camp as well. Uh, what do they do with this guy? Because he can do. He can play all three positions, mostly right wing and center. Um, He can play left wing as well. And if you listen to John Tortorella, he may get a shot in what I think we've assumed would be Felino's spot with, with Nyquist on the mend with Domi and Atkinson. That Grigorenko may get a look up there. If he doesn't get a look up there, then I think you put him next to Jenner and Koivu, but that isn't ideal. Almost in the way that it's not ideal for Bemstrom to play there, and he sure isn't a fourth liner either. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we must say uh, when I say fourth liner, I, I guess part of me is thinking back to the way fourth lines used to be constructed. Right. And in Columbus, a lot of times it's been the where the, that which does not fit anywhere else. You guys go play together. Nasher will make it work between the two of you. Right. Um, I, you know, I'm interested to see what he can give. I'm interested to see his level of desperation now after three years in Russia, he wants to be back in the NHL again. Um, I'm interested, very, very interested to see what becomes of him and what sort of opportunities uh, Allison he gets.
3: Yeah. And you know, this is, this is a situation where I honestly have no thoughts because we don't know what this player is. (laughs) We, We just don't know. Um, And to your point, we can think back to, oh gosh, all the years, time is irrelevant. But when um, Sam Gagne was here, I mean, you can have a super effective fourth line, to your point. You can give that an identity that is powerful and very meaningful to your team. Um, But I need to see this player in the NHL. I need to see him interact with the team. And and I will hold my comments until that time.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and I want to see what kind of player he is. He's a skilled player who, frankly, worked his way out of the league because he wasn't regarded as a a relentlessly hard worker. So skilled, but not enough production for top six and not enough compete for bottom six. Right. So how has he identified himself since then? He has three really, really good years in Russia with a really good team, Cheska Moscow. Um, and by all accounts is a hell of a good dude. He's been in Columbus now for several months. His kids are playing local hockey. He wants to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's going to be a fascinating, I, I, you know, do they just, it, does he just plug in and move up and down? You mentioned Gagne, Gagne did that where he'd start on the fourth line and then play power play and move up to the second line. I think right. Tortorella would right. love to have a guy right. like that, but with Gagne came incredible production too. Right. I mean, the power. God, he was amazing. I'll never forget that pass in Dallas on the power play.
1: And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. This
0: is-
2: Now that that may seem petty, most years like who's the third string goalie? What's the fourth forward line look like? Don't you have bigger concerns? Maybe it's a pretty good situation when this is a concern, um, but if you're the Blue Jackets, or if you're if you're of any team really, you're going to be playing basically every other night once this thing starts, and so I don't think you can just hide your third defensive pair. Um, it's got to be it's got to be a couple that you. You count on I think for fourteen plus sixteen minutes a night, ideally. Um, Ryan Murray's gone. Marcus Nudavara is gone. Um, we know who the top four is, but that leaves them with some combination of Kukan, Peak, Harrington, Gabriel. I should give their first names. Dean Kukan, who's been here in and out for a few years now, looks to be a regular now. I think he's a, a a likely candidate to play regularly. They're high on Andrew Peek, the draft pick out of Notre Dame, who played more last year than they anticipated. Looked pretty good. Um, Allison Scott Harrington, it seems like he's been around here as long as Stinger. <laughs> um, and he is. he's here. He's still the number seven guy, probably. They like him. They like him in the regular season. They play him in the regular season. And Gabriel Carlson, who had a hot start, drifted away for a couple of years, now looks like they loved his game last year in the AHL. They think he's a candidate to play there as well. Two other names to keep in mind. Adam Clendenning, who has a one-way contract. Uh, it's only, I say only, it's 700000 Hell, some guys make that in the AHL anyways. So setting him down is not a big deal. But he'll make as much in the AHL as he does in the NHL, no matter where he plays. And they just signed Michael Delzato to a PTO, which is a really interesting move to me. And maybe we can get into him a little bit in depth after this. But when you when you look at that Blue Jackets defensive group, you see Wierenski, you see Jones, you see Gavrikov, you see Savard. What makes sense to you on the third pair and how crucial is that pairing for them over the life of the season?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's crucial for the reasons you said. We saw this group just get taxed physically because no matter how good a shape you're in when you play 18,000 overtimes in – a week and a half, you're going to be tired. Um, but we saw um this group just get worn down and Seth Jones and Zach Rensky cannot be playing 30 minutes a game night in and night out with this schedule. So you need a solid defense. Um, this isn't as much of a question mark for me in terms of the top the the total six. I, I'm with Kukan I think that um peak peak impressed me last year. I was pleasantly surprised with what he could do and Remember, he didn't lose his spot in the lineup. He got broken like every other player in, on this right. team. So, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's who gets the look. I think what's more interesting, Scott Harrington will obviously be around, is how they might support their defense on the taxi squad because we now know the AHL is going to try and have a season as well starting February 5. Mm-hmm. And if they want Carlson playing – yeah. Cuz your taxi squad cannot go back to the AHL. So to me now this leans a little more in a play, to a player like Clendenning um who if we recall you know I was surprised that we didn't see him in Columbus more last year um Agreed. particularly <laughs> given the injuries um and this was a player who was a a really nice piece in the two years ago playoffs um, you know he he's he's constantly been a tweener player in this league. Um, but that's where I start to think you'll see him more than maybe a Carlson um, because of what this taxi squad looks like. That'll be the more interesting decision for me on the back end.
2: Yeah. And I think Adam Clendening is a guy you're more comfortable with not playing. Exactly. Exactly. Then Carlson. Carlson's still young enough. You want him playing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Delzato's is really interesting to me and, and people get too excited about PTOs sometimes. I feel like this one's different. Uh, because I'm not sure they know what they've got yet with a Kukan Peak pairing. Um, I think both of those guys have shown well at times by themselves. I think it's a different animal when they start to play together for a month, six weeks, and again they have to play them. It's not going to be 30 plus for for the top pair and 28, you know, 25 for the second pair, which just leaves scraps for the other guys. They're gonna have to play. Um, I, I like. I like the idea, too, for a team like this Blue Jackets team that, that John Tortorella is basically saying, yeah, Domi changes us offensively, but the other change for us is going to be that we're just going to think more offensively. And you're, and you're wondering, like, can the guys just hit that switch? Can they just, can they just think that way? Well, Delzato doesn't have a switch. Like, you can't turn that off of him. He is wired that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Tortorella likes that. I think there's a little Tavara, honestly, in Delzato. I don't think he's as polished defensively as Nudivara is, but Delzato is a go, go, go guy. Um, and I think Tortorella may fancy that. Um, he could end up as a, as a second power play unit for this guy, for this team, too. I think he's the guy you stick on your taxi squad and you feel better about as you said, Allison, than, than Carlson City.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I do tend to be the person that says, don't get too excited about PTOs. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I mean, it could happen. I may be not as high on it as you are, just because I just tend not to get <laughs> too excited about PTOs. Um, we'll see. We'll see what he brings in camp. Um, he's hopped around a bit. Um, he's been somewhat steady, played Second pair, pair minutes in Anaheim, but that was a struggling squad. So this this is another player where I just have to see what camp brings, and and then we'll then I'll have a opinion.
2: Yay, camp! Camp is almost here, Allison. It, it's true. A couple days. We're ready for the uh, Zoom meetings again? With oh. Torts, loves Torts loves the Zoom. loves the Zoom. Loves the Zoom. Um, many of you are listening this week, and you're probably thinking, they better get to that damn John Denver story <laughs> that Allison's been sitting on for a week now. Cool um we teased to it uh, thousands upon thousands of people said i'm tuning in next week because i want you to tell that story
3: how many so Allison, how many did
2: um well if you multiply the, yeah, the so. twitter people by a few um Allison, here's your chance it's a great story you've told it <laughs> to me 30 times because every time i say this is my friend Allison." Hey, tell him your John Denver story. And you go, oh, God. And I did it to you on the podcast, and now you have no choice but to live up to it. Yes. Um, set the scene, tell us the John Denver story, and I'll ask questions along the way if I feel like I have a question about something.
3: Uh, if you feel like you do. Okay, perfect. Well, so uh, when I was little, John Denver was the music that we listened to in our family. Love yes. John Denver. Love John Denver and the Muppets of Christmas together. Best Christmas album ever. Love John Denver. Everything about him. And my dad used to have to go to this conference that was in Aspen. Um, And we would go every winter. And this was back when Aspen was just this little ski town. You had to fly this little tiny prop plane in. It was terrifying. Um,
2: We're talking uh, 80s.
3: (laughs) Yes, we're talking a while ago. Um, Okay. And John Denver lived in Aspen. He was part of what kind of at the time put Aspen on the map because John Denver lived in Aspen. Mm -hmm. And it it was again, a small town. So it would just so happen that there was like a three, four year stretch there where every year when we were in Aspen, we would run into John Denver. We ran into him one time in a grocery store. We, you know, whatever. And you know, here I am this little person and I'm like, Oh, John Denver, I love you. He was always so kind, always so generous. Um, so our, our family tradition was that the last night we were in Aspen, we would go to the, at the time, the the one nice restaurant in town. It was called Arthur's. It was an Asian restaurant. It was delicious. Um, and we were in Arthur's this particular year. I think I might have been five or six. I don't know. And into Arthur's walks John Denver and his wife, Annie, who everyone knows wow. inspired the best song ever. Oh, Annie's song. Annie's song. Annie's yes. song. So in comes John Denver and Annie, and I say to my parents, I'm gonna go say hi to my good friend John Denver. So I get up, do 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 walk over to the table to say hi to my good friend John Denver. So I come back to my no, parents. No, oh, yes, yes, John Denver
2: couldn't have been more gracious, I uh, assume. Of course. Of course. Lovely. Did he have the round gl- the of, perfectly round glasses on? Of course. Of yes. course he did. Okay.
3: He stopped okay. wearing those after a while and it got it was disappointing to me. Yeah. Yeah, mm. you know. Um so then come back to my parents do 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 and and I don't even know if kids still do this but you know we'd get school pictures and you'd cut them up and parents always had them oh there you go could you cut them up and you my parents always had some in their purse or my dad in his wallet whatever and so I say mom do you have one of my school pictures she says shh I do i said do you have a pen and she said yes and i said i'm going to go take one to john denver walk do 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 walk over to john denver visit with him a few more minutes come back, sit down. And my mom says, well, Allison, where's the picture? Did you get his autograph? And I said, no, mom, I gave him mine. So I autographed my school picture and gave it to John Denver. And that is the John Denver story. People who know me well are not surprised by
2: this story at all. (laughs) And he took, do you even remember the response to him taking the picture? I,
3: I do not remember yeah um but my my husband loves to uh tease that it was probably his most cherished possession that he kept and just like everyone asks me to tell this story that people always ask john denver to tell the story about the little girl that gave him her autograph that's his right. his favorite joke
2: I, it had to be on his refrigerator <laughs> I,
3: I i don't know that i'd be that confident
2: <laughs> no but you know what people like that i've I just assume, I I think everybody feels like they know John Denver. He's one of those guys. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Or at least they know that he would be so gracious and so good about something like this. Yes. I th- I think a person like that is probably so used to signing the autograph and being the doing the favor that a little kid doing that to him would probably be the greatest. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> like, sure
0: it was
3: something.
2: <laughs> the greatest. And I'm sure... I bet he remembered it, you know? Well,
3: well you you and my, and my husband have the, the same perspective <laughs> on yeah, the whole wonderful. thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Henry John Duchendorf Jr., by Fantastic. the way. Fantastic. John Denver. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks, the John Denver story. You're not going to hear a better story than that on this podcast.
3: <laughs> well, that's um, a shame. <laughs> we have peaked on
2: 1230, 2020. Hey, Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. These have been trying times for everybody. It feels like... There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's a ways away, but the season's starting back up again. Uh, I believe there's going to be hockey. They're sure, sure going to try. It sure looks like it. And we're going to keep doing our best. We're going to pick up with two podcasts a week starting next week. Um, and because the games and the, the news is going to start flying uh, fast and furious now. So happy new year to you. I uh, hope you get everything you want in the new year hope you can kiss 2020 goodbye with whichever profanity you choose (laughs) Allison anything to add before we sign off here
3: just uh Ohio State women return to the ice uh, January 1 um so college hockey is going to try and get back at it too and and just as Aaron did I wish everyone a fantastic new year let's hope for The fact that we're all on the upswing and whatever that means to you and
2: your loved ones. Exactly. Well, for producer Danielle Chip Lehman, uh, for this the uh great song music from David Cook, happy new year to everybody. Uh thanks to everybody who makes this possible, and we will talk to you all very soon. Take care.